Welcome back to episode 40 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement, where we seek to not only capture the highs of ratings glory, but the normal, the usual, the plateaus, maybe even the pits of despair. How do we work through these? Our guests come on and talk about their experiences. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. I'd like to thank our queen-level supporters there, Terry King, Andrew Perry, Jay Tuttle, Jay Garrison, Don and Rich Burgess, and Brandon Hallside. Uh, you can catch me streaming at Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. This week is still spring break. There's lots of uh, streaming that I'm actually doing, having a good time. And I'd like to thank our official sponsor, Chessable. I'm at 109 days and counting. I'm working on the woodpecker method. It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. And today I bring in our guest, uh, Renee. She is a professional musician, a conductor. She has found time for chess in her life. Renee, welcome to the show. And have you played any chess today? Thank you for having me. Um, I will admit that I am an extraordinarily late sleeper. So I have not begun my day with chess. I have begun my day with coffee, but I do have it in my chess mug. Ooh. Which says, born to play chess, forced to work. And it has a night on it. And it is the true story of my life. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty great. I feel like you should also get a chess punks mug. I don't know if you have one of those yet, but they're pretty great also. I, I do not have a chess punks mug. I will have no. to look, in, look into yeah. that. Uh, contact Neil Bruce. He'll hook you up and uh, you can you can get it. My daughter, who does not like chess, this is my older daughter. In fact, she's, she's becoming uh, someone who doesn't like chess specifically because me and the younger daughter talk about it nonstop. And so she'll get hot chocolate in my chess punks mug and walk around with it and go, not a chess punk. Just to bug me. So yeah, but it gets a lot of use. All right, Renee. So welcome to the show. And uh, first question today is let's get to know you a little bit. What's your current situation like? Do you have a, a career? Do you have a significant other seven children wandering your home? Uh, what does your life look like? So my life is thankfully for me, a nice kind of quiet one. I um, live in Nashua, New Hampshire with my wife. We've been together for 18 years and we have a cat, Basil. He is adorable and sometimes a jerk, but we still love him. Is he one of those like cuddle cats or is he more of one of those like, hey, hey, I need my space cats? He has, he, he started out that way. He's 16 years old now. And he started out as a very much, I'll come to you when I want you. And other than that, please leave me alone. But now he can't seem to get enough of being on top of me. If I sit, he needs to, he needs to be there. So he's getting, he's softened oh. up in his old age. Interesting. Yeah. And I currently work as a conductor in Salem, Mass, um, historical Salem, Mass of the Palmador Chorale, which I took over for in 2019. I have a wonderful group of singers up there. And then I founded a smaller select women's chorus, which has always been my dream to have just a women's choir. And they're called Calliope. And they also perform up on the North Shore area in Massachusetts. And I've also the music director at Trinity Lutheran Church in Chelmsford, which has a beautiful, vibrant music program. And I've been there for five years now. So my, and my schedule, because of those things, because that's what I do, it's very 
um, open. I have a lot of afternoons free um, because all my rehearsing is done in the evening. So I have a lot of time to be playing chess. So that's nice. how I'm balancing those things. Okay. So it sounds like you have a, a busy schedule in that you have these multiple things you're juggling. But then at the same time, that schedule allows you to have a lot of days free for quite a bit of chess time. Right. So I'll do like big chunks of activity in, Mm -hmm. you know, like on one day, like on Monday, you know, we'll have a three hour rehearsal in the evening that I prep for. And then, you know, rehearsals on Thursday with my bell choir and then the Sunday services, which I have to play. Um, But those things, um, because of where they take place and how they take place, you can easily get what you need done for them ahead of time and then you know they occur and then you have a lot of flexible flexible time because it's not a nine typical nine to five sort of sort of deal yeah gotcha okay that sounds that sounds like a great opportunity to have chess be such a big part of your life okay well let's start with your origin story do you have an origin story? Did you play it all as a child? Uh, what, what does that look like? So I did not play it all as a child. I obviously knew the game of chess existed because I always looked at the board. And of course, as a little girl, I was like, horses, yes. <laughs> like, you uh, know. <laughs> um, but I did not learn to play until um I got to college and my undergrad and actually it was my wife who taught me the rules of the game and I would play with my dad a little bit and with her a little bit but it was nothing serious I just learned how the pieces move that was it that was my knowledge of chess and then I didn't think about it for many 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 years until 2018 I had just finished my um, master's in, in early music performance the, like the December before. And what happens with me is that when I'm done with school, I try to find another program to do so that I don't get bored. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that, that's expensive. Yeah. That's expensive. So I did four graduate programs <laughs> before oh, wow. I said, maybe I need something else to do. Okay. And, and so, so how, how did you discover chess then? Was it just kind of like you remembered this time with your wife and your dad and, and moves or was there like some video you saw or some moment you saw where you're like, oh, that looks cool. So I'm going to be completely honest here because I think it's kind of a funny, I think it's kind of funny just the way that things kind of happened to me. And that's kind of occurred with all things in my life that I just kind of walk into a thing and it just kind of happens much like the fact that you and I are here today was not yeah. something that I anticipated you know 36 hours ago I had <laughs> a clue so I remember I'm a big fan of like 80s new wave music mm. so I was just driving I had on a playlist I hit shuffle I let it do its thing it's a huge playlist and all of a sudden this song came on and I was like this has very strange words like what is what is this song about and I realized after I had you know got to my destination looked it up that it was one night in Bangkok from the musical chess 
So okay. I was like, let me look up these words because I didn't understand a word he was saying. And then I looked <laughs> it up and I realized that the song was about chess. So then I had to Wikipedia the musical ah. and found a rabbit hole of, you know, the Soviet grandmaster against the American grandmaster, which resembled Bobby Fischer versus Spassky. Okay, let's look up Bobby Fischer. So I went down like, and I went down this whole rabbit hole, which then led to me getting a chess board and going on chess.com and starting to learn how to play. And from then it has been completely nonstop. And you are the first person I've ever told that it resulted from one night in Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first time I've heard that. So that is <laughs> fascinating. I'm so thrilled. Uh, did your wife have any reactions when you were suddenly like, I'm playing chess was she a chess player or was she just someone who kind of casually had played and that's how she introduced you to yeah the she had just kind of casually played and even after I started studying just a tiny tiny bit I realized that she would never be able to beat me ever again you know like <laughs> after that. So she has no she has no real interest in, yeah. in chess you know in that way but um but yeah that was how I that was how I came across it. And I never really told anyone that. And now wow. I'm telling well, the whole you. podcast. So thank you so much for sharing with us. And the, the whole, once you start studying chess, non-chess serious people can't beat you is such a, it's such a true, horrible thing. Like my wife and I used to play chess for fun and neither of us knew what we were doing. And then I got really into it. And suddenly we couldn't even play anymore. And she was like, you cheated. And I was like, what do you mean I cheated? And she's like, you went out and read books on the game we play together? Like, that's cheating. And I was like, no, no, this is a passion. She's like, no, it's cheating. So I don't know. Either I'm a cheater or I'm passionate about chess. I guess it's unclear and it depends on the audience. I think so. I mean, maybe, maybe we have to limit our games with our spouses to chess 960, mm. you know, maybe to give us kind of an even, you know, an, an even playing field. More even maybe, but I still more feel even. like. Yeah. I mean, there's still no positional strategy and stuff yeah, like that. But. Um, okay. So you get into chess, you've uh, discovered this wonderful song that's led you down the <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, how did your journey then start? Were you like all in right away or were you kind of just like dabbling a bit? Like how long did it take you to realize like, mm, this is something I'm going to spend some serious time on? Oh, immediately. <laughs> okay. Immediately. And I am, I am that type of person. When I find a thing, I go all the way for the thing. It's never just, oh, I can just do a little bit of this here. I'm just not a casual person which is why I've had so few passions in life because I have to dedicate so much to them. So like with my music mm -hmm. and spending just hours and hours every day practicing and performing and wanting to do those things. And then it's shifted now to, to chess where I do the same, I feel the same way about it. You know, I just can't even imagine my life without it at this point. Mm, okay. Um, so when you first started then, what, what, what'd your process look like? Like how much time were you spending? What were the kind of stuff you were doing as you, as you first got into chess? So books, 
I I love books, so I went to you know bookstore. I looked online for books. I you know got the Chess.com app and just kind of tried to go from from there and see what I you know see what I could do on my own. But I figured if it was anything like music, at some point I would need a coach okay. to study with because some certain things you just need guidance on. Because if, you know, if you're starting out on a thing, you don't know what you don't know. Mm, yeah. so you need somebody to kind of guide you and into the, at least the right way of looking at things and how to study and how to gain experience and all of those things. So it was probably a few months later. I want to, yeah, I got my chess.com account in October of 2018. And, you know, I fiddled with it for a couple months. I did watch the World Championship in 2018. I was very happy oh, to watch that. That's um, cool. Carlson and Caruana. But I really had no idea what was like. It was kind of over my head at that point. Yeah, I bet. About the, you know, what was really going on. But I enjoyed listening to the commentary. Um, and then in December, I went to the Massachusetts Chess Association website and it said, you know, find a coach. So I'm looking and I happened to come across, um, I am Igor Feugel and I reached out to him and he got back to me. And the first question he asked me was, I don't mean to be rude, but how old are you? <laughs> and I was like, hey, that's a little forward, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> And so I told him and, but I figured that that came with, you know, there's a reason why he's asking me. Yeah. And I thought, okay, he's asking me because I'm an adult and not a kid and, and kids are different. Yeah. Again, similar with music, you know, you can't start so late if you plan on becoming a professional. Mm -hmm. So you have to start when you're like three or four and if your parents have the foresight to put you into piano lessons or violin lessons or whatever. Um, so he asked me how old I was and I told him how old I was. And I said, but listen, I got to tell you about myself. I am not the type of person who's just going to be flaky about this. I'm very passionate about what I do. I'm very dedicated. I work hard. And so he agreed to meet with me and we met in uh, Cambridge in this there's this hotel and it had a cute little lounge and I said we can meet there it's nice and quiet there's almost never anybody in there so he came and um he sat down he seemed to know who I was immediately even though there was like no photo of me no nothing he just like came up to my table and sat down with his chessboard and I was like oh okay <laughs> Igor knows. he knows and he told me that he would give me three lessons and then some recommendations and then send me on my way. Oh, interesting. Well, it's been three years. So, <laughs> so you do one lesson a year. Okay. I, I, I showed him. <laughs> no. no, after the three lessons, I was like, you're not getting rid of me. And so we've been, we've been together ever since. That's interesting. Did you ever sort of figure out from him what that motivation was for saying three lessons and then I send you on your way? Is that just like, is, does he consider himself a conduit to other teachers or like what's, what's going on with that? No, I really think it was a, you're an adult and I know how this is going to go uh, and you'll probably, 
you know, I'll give you some ideas to study on your own, but you're not going to do anything serious with this, most likely. Um, and I was actually really worried when I went to the third lesson. I was like, I really <laughs> don't want him to send me away because I thought we were having so much, you know, we were having a good time, but also yeah. I felt like I was getting a lot and picking it up fairly, fairly quickly. Yeah, so. Okay, that's interesting. Um, how often were you guys meeting? Was this a once a week thing? Yes, once a week we would okay. meet. And so yeah. you've met once a week generally with this person for almost three years? Yes. Wow. There were okay. only a couple times that I missed uh, for whatever reason, either weather or if somebody was on vacation or something like that. It has been pretty steady for um, the past three years. That's he unfortunately did, um, he was ill for the past couple months, but we're, you know, back now talking. And in the meantime, even when he was ill, he cared so much about my chest that he set me up with one of his friends to continue my end game studies. So oh, wow. it's That's so nice cool. that he's always, he's always thinking of me and it's just very sweet and I love him so much. And I knew I was going to do a lot of Igor gushing today. <laughs> that's great. So that's so remarkable then. Like how, what do you think you've gotten the most out of your relationship with your coach? So I think, I think a lot of things actually, I mean, he's, he's a very just warm, kind person. He's very much a father figure in my life. Hmm. Um, I lost my father last July after an illness. And I think after that, um, that Igor is kind of the closest thing in terms of just our relationship. I know he cares a lot about me. Um, you know, chess wise, I think, you know, just what he has taught me the most, probably the most valuable thing because I think a lot of it I could have done on my own, but one thing that I didn't even think of that he's given me is the ability to play without the board, without the pieces mm. just in my mind. And he said, you need to have this skill. Oh, wow. So is that something you've spent a lot of time on? Is it like whole blindfold chess games or is it more just being able to visualize positions? We started off just with, you know, we started off simple of just, I'm going to name a square and you're going to tell me the color. Mm. And it started off like that. And he said, you know, I want you, like, when I say a square, you need to be able to say the color instantly. Like you need oh, to wow. know it. And then, and then you would put, you know, okay, well now you have a Bishop here. Now you have pawns here. Can the Bishop capture the pawns? Mm. Are you of a knight here? Where can the knight go? Um, and then it turned into, you know, mate in threes, you know, where, oh, wow. where he would tell you what was on the board and then you'd have to do yeah. the, the mating puzzle in your head. And that was, or, or even like an opening line up to move, you know, whatever we would have to do that. And that has been really, really helpful hmm. because now I can remember, you know, whole games, just ah, replaying them in, yeah. in head and it's a really it's a really important skill and he said you know the top players will will be able to do that mm. okay so are you basically beth Harmon now where when you go to sleep you <laughs> the chessboard on the ceiling 
Um, not, not quite like that, but okay. yes, it's a similar, similar thing where I, I can visualize. I don't think my board's quite in my, my mind board is not as fancy as hers. <laughs> not not sure anyone's like, like the little eight bit, like boop pieces moving kind of thing. It's not. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's really cool. So you start and did you start doing that like really early in your training? Or was that something when you got pretty advanced, you started doing it? No, it was something he wanted me to do right away to oh, be able wow, to okay. do right away. So I that's, that was a really helpful thing. Because even now, sometimes I meet people at the at the club where I'm telling them about a game, and I'll just rattle off the moves. And they're like, wait, 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 I can't do that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> you yeah. like, that's a that's a thing you have to be able you have to be able to do or or is a very just a very good skill because the board lies oh you know, what does board, this mean the, the board, board lies board. when you're looking at the board sometimes what happens is when you're trying to calculate a line and you imagine things moving around but sometimes that piece is still on the board that you're looking at and it hasn't moved and then you can make an error in your in your calculation because you're like, well, wait, that piece is still there, but it's yeah. not. It's so. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that happened to me yesterday. I did a whole calculation, and in my calculation, the queen moves, but when I was looking it on the board, queen was still backing up that bishop. And uh, right. next move, as I recalculated, I was like, oh no, oh that's right, the queen has moved. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good point. I hadn't heard that term. The board lies, but I like it. I got to admit that is a gaping hole for me. I really cannot visualize the board in my head in, especially not in a visual way. Um, but I really struggle with say like blindfold chess. So it's something that I've, I've been toying about, like, is this something I need to address or can I just kind of be like, ah, eh, it's fine. I'll I'll make it up in other areas. And now I'm wondering, maybe I need to spend some time on it. I mean, I don't know if you have to be able to play a whole like blindfold game, but mm. I think just developing any sort of visual um, acuity in your in your mind with the chessboard, I do think that I do think it will help. Absolutely. I think you're probably right um you said you you grabbed some books right away what were the books were they actually good books or did you just kind of like go to the library and you picked up like uh opening theory from the 1970s like what happened what were these early <laughs> yeah. books like yeah my guess is that my first book choices were kind of dumb because i had no idea again oh, yeah. no idea so yeah stuff like um yeah just like ultimate chess strategy or whatever you know stuff like that and um yeah i had no no real ideas okay. of what to get i did get i did get fisher's 60 memorable games that was one of the first ones oh I wow that's impressive um, were you able to process that book or was it kind of like no. oh this is no, way no. because at first i was like wait what is this notation i have to read this notation and i didn't quite understand the notation at the time Mm -hmm. uh, that came a little bit that came a little bit later but then after that I start and because I really love his historical stuff and biographies so I just started getting mm -hmm. mostly like biographical things you know Kasparov, Karpov, Fisher um, cool. that, that sort of thing because I like to read about them and their lives and oh yeah. tall of course yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. um so you, you got a coach pretty early on 
did you pretty much turn over then your entire training like process and regimen to this coach or did your coach just kind of say like you need to study some stuff here are some suggestions and then you built up your own kind of process to do that how, how did that work out um so he would definitely give me things to do you know specific things to do a lot of you know exercises from old russian um books and things like that and i would do i would do those i would bring them back to him he gave me actually one of the first books he gave me was the one it was like 1001 chess exercises for mm -hmm. beginners and he's like He's like, don't be offended by the word beginner. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not offended by the word beginner. I'm a beginner. I get it. Like, it's not a problem. And, but they were different. He's like, some of these are quite challenging and, and they were, but I did, I did do that book. Okay. I did that nice. whole book. Yeah. Okay. And just to help with the tactical ideas, I was not allowed to study openings. Ooh. I was not allowed to learn a thing about openings. I just oh. needed to learn about principles and playing yeah. with common sense because he didn't want me memorizing stuff that I didn't understand. Okay. So not allowed to touch opening. He said, you can't learn openings until you're 1600. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a pretty like, high number for no openings. Right. That seemed like a long time, but I was like, oh, okay, well, here we go. Did you sneak at all and learn a couple things? He doesn't have to listen to this. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't even remember how it happened really. Oh, you know what it was? You know what he, fi he finally relented because what happened was I started attending um, the Bill Ricca Chess Club mm. and he basically said after showing him a couple of the games, he's like, okay, you're not going to have a chance against any of these people if you don't have some opening knowledge. So, okay. Okay. you know, then it was just a matter of how do we find which ones are suitable? What do we play? You know, and, and we started with black, you know, you need hmm. to something against E4 and something against D4. Gotcha. And so I, it's, I don't, know how I settled on either one of these, but I settled on the Cairo Khan and the Nimzo Indian. Hmm. And so that led me to, I got a lot of Karpov games to look at. And he said, you know, you need to study all of these and that will help you. Hmm. So my game immediately kind of became much more positional. And that's how, that's how it's, that's how it's been. I like studied those openings and games by you know grandmasters and how to play the opening and so is that mostly how you learned how to play something like the Karakon was by looking at sort of sample games and just kind of getting the feel for it rather than memorizing lines yeah just looking at it you know you take a bunch of games by you know let's say a grandmaster who specializes in that opening and mm -hmm then I would look at these games just to get ideas because you need the ideas more than the memorization. You need to know yeah. why you're playing a thing. Otherwise, if you memorize and your opponent plays something wacky and throws you off, you're going to go, oh, what do I do? Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just mostly about memorizing the ideas behind the, hmm. behind the opening and, you know, letting these, these players who obviously know what they're doing kind of guide you in, in that, direction and what ratings level were you when you were 
kind of taking this initial foray into openings? Uh, <laughs> I was probably still, I was probably still in the three digits. Okay. Um, you were going to a local chess club while in the three digits? Yes. Okay. Because my first tournament that I ever played was just not great. And so my provisional rating that that started that off was really, really low. Mm. And so ever since then, I have just been clawing my way up slowly. <laughs> yeah. But I can at least say that the majority of events that I've played, my rating has not gone down. Of course, I've played events where my rating has gone down a bit, but yeah. all, but I can count them on one hand. Yeah, that's really nice. Them have been going up, and I guess I'd rather have that. You know, starting from the bottom and going up. At least mm -hmm. you can't get any lower. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hear you. My my daughter's USCF rating is one hundred. She uh -huh. uh, played a couple of online events against other little kids, and she wasn't able to get any wins. And so now she has the lowest possible rating you can have, which feels bad. I think at times, but like when she actually gets going it's going to be really fun for her because her rating will skyrocket while mine just continues to like linger at, at a particular oh. level so that's your and the first person that she beats is going to be the saddest person on the face oh of the yeah that's you know if, if they're rated like a thousand and she beats them i mean yeah yeah you're gonna go home crying definitely yeah. she could have had a win but this is how nice my daughter is she was playing in an actual rated online event with a friend of hers. They got paired up and he mouse slipped, or at least it looked like he did and hung his queen. But you know, with little kids, you know, all right. Like they hang their queens all the time anyway. Oh, and so he was sending her these sad face emojis. And so she's like, dad, I think I'm going to offer him a draw. And I'm like super competitive. And I was like, I don't think you should offer him a draw. And she was like, dad, you don't understand. He's my friend. And I think that was an accident. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you you can't. I'm just telling you, he would not offer you a draw. And she was like, well, I'm going to offer him a draw anyway. And she did. And that would have been her first and only win. And she gave him a draw. The, the, the competitor in me was just like devastated. And then the human in me was kind of impressed. So I don't know. We were We were at odds on that one. Yeah, I mean, man, I would have taken that queen without hesitation. Oh, yeah. And been like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Life's we'll hard sometimes. One. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially um, at that age, you know, little kids, they're just flinging their queens around. And yeah. Sure, I'm going to take it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so with your openings, do you feel like you chose your openings? Did your coach choose them? Or did you guys kind of like work together and try out a bunch of stuff and land on the openings that you're on? I think what happened was um, because of the games that I, that he would bring to me to look at before I had studied any openings. So there were a lot of games, uh, a lot of Karpov games. Mm. And I think because of that, that kind of based, you know, what I chose, uh, kind of shaped what I chose um because he played the Karakan, he played the Nimso Indian, he played mm -hmm. D4 a lot. Um, 
and I liked his games a lot. You know, I really love the, I love the slow positional squeeze. I just love how he was able to put his pieces exactly where they needed to go. Like I wanted to be able to do that. Mm. Um, so I think that's kind of what made the decision for me because I, I was not allowed to look at Tal except for entertainment purposes only. Oh my goodness. Not try to be like Tal. This guy's amazing. <laughs> You're banned from Tal. We, we will burn the Tal books. He's bad for you. Yeah, just just like for fun. You can look at his games, but don't no. try to don't try to do that. Don't try don't this with all kids. Yeah. Don't try to do not sound sacrifices and exactly. it doesn't see. <laughs> yeah. Um, nowadays where yeah, I don't yeah. even know how those would work. Yeah, exactly. They're different different time. Uh so what about your playing then? I'm gonna guess your coach is not a fan of bullet chess. And I'm gonna guess your coach probably isn't that much of a fan of blitz chess. So is your coach trying to encourage you to mostly play? rapid and classical and do you listen what what kind of chess do you normally play i am a slow 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 kind of gal and i'm okay with that um but he actually did encourage me to play a hundred games of blitz chess to improve my intuition my instinct and to trust it because i get into so much time trouble in any given time control Okay. The only the only time I haven't gotten into time trouble is in a correspondence game. <laughs> you know, You're like the three days are almost up. Oh my goodness, I've been thinking hard on this move. Yes, seventy two minutes left. Got to do this. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So I I like the long games. I like when I do have time to think. I feel very good. I feel like I'm very accurate. I can make the best move. I can find what I need to find. But in a time scramble, no, no, that's, it's, it's tough. And it, it tends to happen to me a lot. So it's a thing that I'm working on, definitely. I would say my biggest problem right now is the clock. And my, hand, my handling of the clock is probably my biggest weakness right now and what's keeping me from getting, getting the point. Gotcha. Yeah. So you'll get positions where you have the advantage, time gets low, and you feel like your skill level drops substantially yep. as you start running out of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like out of the opening, I always, I usually feel quite good. I'm like, all right, I feel good about this. Now, how do we manage the time in the middle game? And then by the time I get to an ending, I'm like, well, let's see, I have three minutes and my opponent has 40. So <laughs> this just doesn't seem fair anymore, you know? And it just, yeah, at that point, of course, you're going to make a mistake and because you can't be as accurate in, yeah. in that sort of time condition. Of course, they have all the time in the world to sit there because they've played the entire game like it's a blitz game. And that's the problem. That's a problem. You know, if they're, yeah. if they're using it as, about as much time as I am equally, then I mm. feel okay. But a lot of the times they move instantly. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, you may go away for 20 minutes while I sit here and yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like they're moving instantly because you took so much time that they had a chance to sort of figure out their th the three moves you might do and then what their reaction would be so that they're basically able to use your time? Probably, yeah. 
I like they can use my time, but I'm not given the same gift, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I don't yeah, get yeah. to use their time. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's part of it too, is that I'm also kind of giving them time and that I tend to think too long on positions that don't even really require it. Uh, okay. you know, positions that are based more on just a judgmental move rather than a an actual analytical move that you need to calculate gotcha yeah, I think so that makes a lot of sense then your coach's suggestion of get a bunch of blitz games in just so you kind of get used to that right the idea of like sometimes you just make a move because it feels good and looks right and you know, trust yourself and probably it is right unless it's not. And then, then, then everything falls apart. Right. Unless it's not, but then I think, you know, right. If, if you make a blunder because you make a blunder, you didn't calculate something fine, but it's really painful to have a winning position and lose to the clock. So do you think blitz has been helping you at all with uh, the clock trouble? Have you actually played the blitz games? Have you avoided them and lied to your coach and been like, yeah, sure. I'm playing the blitz games. Of course I am. Um, I have played them. I don't think I've reached a hundred of them yet, but I have played them. And I think that in, for what they're meant to function as, I think they've been helpful. Hmm. Um, and just trying to apply some of those principles to a longer game like when when is the difference between a critical move and a move that you can make instantly mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're very familiar with your opening you can kind of you know even in a in a longer game you can kind of blitz out those opening moves if you're really familiar with what to do and then you can take your time at a more critical moment when it becomes the middle game so uh, i think for you know blitz is it's definitely its own thing in chess to me it's not the same but i have appreciated its function in trying to help my time trouble gotcha so you don't use blitz as like an entertainment tool like how some people would use it you're using it as a part of your improvement process yes no. yes and what I time see. control do you use when you do blitz um Usually five zero. Oh, if I can find five five, I like that because I do like an mm. increment. Even three two, because at least you get that little increment. And yeah, because um, sometimes you sometimes you need it. You need just those couple extra seconds to finish mm -hmm. it off. You know, because so that's another thing that happens too. You know, because then it's you know blitz is really anybody's game. Um, I play five five myself. I I don't believe in playing without increment if that's the time control I'm practicing for. I just don't mm -hmm. want to get in the bad habit of like, oh, I'm going to play these three terrible moves because it might flag my opponent, right? Just I want to not even have that in the back of my mind as I'm playing so that I, that doesn't bleed into my classical games. Right. Okay. Um, so how much time would you say you're spending each day or week? Like what is a typical week look for you Renee or how, how much time are you able to dedicate here um so I try to break it down into um so tactics are a big thing mm. um end game study is a big thing and then the studying of games 
And if there's like a big tournament happening, like the FIDE Grand Prix was, was pretty recent. Like I will watch, I will watch those. I will look at those games, especially games that are played using openings that I play. So if somebody plays a Karo Khan or a Nimso Indian or a Catalan, I will go and look at that game. Um, see if I can get some ideas from it, see what they did, see where they might have made a mistake, you know, can run it with a run it with the computer. Um, I don't love to use the computer because the computer is an inhuman thing with no feelings or thoughts or nerves. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes just okay. just to know and just to get an idea. Um, so I'll try to do in any given day, I can do maybe a hundred or so puzzles. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I have end game exercises to do, like right now, my coach has sent me um, some knight endings and some knight and bishop endings. So I'll have to do those. And then I will select some games to look at. And I'm also learning a new opening right now. And so I've been studying that. Um, so yeah, I can spend, I don't know, I, I lose track of time a lot when I'm doing this because I don't really think about it. I don't really time it in a way. Once my brain decides I've had enough or I need a break, then I will take a break. Um, so I don't, I don't really set out, I'm going to do like, a certain amount of hours. Mm -hmm. I just do what feels right and that whatever I can focus on. If it becomes difficult to focus, then I know it's time to move on because I'm not going to retain what I've done. Um, so I try to do it. I try to do it that way. But if I go a whole day like and don't do any tactics, I definitely notice. Oh, interesting. Okay. I definitely notice it i'm not as quick like i do think that's a thing that no matter what you should try to get in every day even if you don't do anything else mm -hmm. get in like 25 puzzles or so just to keep everything going okay that's really interesting so you're not tracking it you don't put any pressure on yourself you're just kind of like i love chess it's what mm -hmm. i like to do so i'm gonna do it until my brain tells me let's do something else now yeah, I've never been a really regimented person in terms of that, that sort of thing. Like, it's just, I just, it's not part of my personality. I just don't really have it in me. Some people are very organized and can, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and they can have the to-do list. I, I just do whatever, wherever the wind takes me really is, is what I do. Um, and that's just how I've, how I've kind of always been. And I just remember a story like this has been my whole life that when I was in the fifth grade, I got a progress report from my teacher and it said, well organized. And I brought it home to my mother and my mother said, no, I don't believe this. This, this can't be right. And instead of just letting me have it, you know, just being like, good job, sweetie. She called the teacher and she was like, no, I don't. Was this a mistake? And the teacher went, oh, yeah, that, that, that was not correct. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's just been my whole life where I've just been kind of all over the place. But 
in my own in my own way i think i have things together it's just not everybody else's way you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's i think that's okay this way again i don't put too much pressure on myself i won't feel bad like if i don't have a productive day i'm not going to feel bad about it yeah that's so great it sounds like such a healthy attitude towards learning um the problem i found for myself is when i try to take that approach and i just let the winds guide me suddenly like netflix has been on for eight hours and then i'm like (laughs) what was i even doing like why didn't i do something useful today so uh yeah that that's why i feel to have some sort of i need some sort of structure or i just do things that i like you would think sometimes I'm like 13 or something, right? Like, wouldn't a 13 year old make that choice? And I'm like, I guess so. So, oh, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so end games, I'm, 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 my ears perked up when you said end games. Yeah. Uh, have you read any of the like traditionally well-respected end game books? Does your coach just say like, here's the next thing you're doing with end games? How has that worked out for you? So when Igor was in the hospital and I had been talking to his wife every day. One day she sent me an email saying, Igor wants you to continue your lessons with one of his friends, also from Ukraine. And um, he's a FIDE master, but he's an endgame specialist. Mm. And so now I study with him and we do strictly endgames. And so he will give me things to do and I will do them. And then we will talk about, we will talk about specific endings. He does, he does use certain and like specific end game books and things like that. And he just shares, uh, shares the exercises and things with me and we discuss it. And uh, that's been, that's been very helpful because I have saved many a game because I have more end game knowledge than my opponent. And that's very important. I think that even if you're not doing so well in the middle, if you know the ending, chances are you will know more than your opponent because it's the least studied. Mm-hmm. It's the part that people like to study the least. And it's my favorite part of the chess game. Ooh, I okay. love the ending. You just give me a king and some pawns and I'm like, yes, I got okay. Okay, so do not trade down to losing endgames against Renee. <laughs> she will stomp you. Good to know. Good to know. I, I will try my, my darndest to grind it out as nice. far as I can go because I know that if I have any chances of a comeback, that's the place where it's going to happen. But oftentimes you have no time to complete your endgame. So how do you balance that? If that's your favorite part of the game, and you've given yourself no time to do your favorite part, how, how does that work? Does it just make it even more painful when you run out of time? Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, kind of the crux of the whole thing, right? That's, mm. that's really been the issue of that. Okay, well, my, you know, I've been studying a lot of end games. I like a lot. Of, I like to get to an end game. Now I just have to do it within a reasonable amount of time so that I have time to calculate. Yeah. But I wonder... I, if there's a psychological piece here that you can tap into, which is like when you're in the middle game and you feel yourself taking too much time, tell yourself like, Hey, let's just make a move so we can get to our favorite part and have more time for our favorite part of the game, the end game. I have no idea if that will work for you. It's just a, just a little tip. 
I'm wondering if there's even a way to like just maybe force myself to just trade down. Oh, okay. Just see what happens, even if it's kind of a dubious trade. Mm-hmm. See if if I have enough time to be in that end game, if it does make a difference. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I guess I haven't asked you this yet, but what is your rating by, you know, whatever is the most accurate way to, to measure it for you? Um, so I guess on all different platforms, it's different. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think, okay, so right now on paper, on like USCF, it's 1316. Mm. I don't believe is anywhere near what my actual strength is. Based uh, on our conversations about the openings we play, I would be very surprised if that was your rate. Yeah. And so I know with the whole year because of the pandemic, not playing over the board for your, I've only started playing over the board again in the last couple months and already jumped a few hundred points. So I think if that will continue... I think I will be where I need to be, hopefully by the end of the year, as long as I continue to do well. If I can just, if I can master my time, my time issues, I think that'll help. I will be very curious. I'm playing a a correspondence tournament, like an official Mm -hmm. correspondence tournament. And I will be very curious to get that rating. (laughs) With the time, I think that will be totally different. And I have- fascinating if you're like 1300 uscf 2200 correspondence yeah. <laughs> that might raise a few suspicions i, I know. don't know exactly. i hope not because like i'm legit i really am i just i'm just a <laughs> slow person i'm just a snail like i just need a lot of time so what's say like uh, a chess.com rating so chess.com it's 1694 okay which i think is a little bit more accurate yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's what I would have guessed that you were in that range. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. I've had a hard time as well with USCF um, having it keep up. Like if you're going through a period where you're improving a lot and you're not able to get many USCF games, it's just so hard to get an accurate rating. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, like my last tournament I played before I left 20 years ago, I realized I just, I just realized this yesterday that I, I had some, for some reason, entered the open section in like a massive tournament. It was a 12 round tournament and wow. I got slaughtered. Oh my God. My rating sunk like a hundred points from just getting whomped by like international masters all day. I was like, what was I thinking? Uh, so yeah, wow. stuff like that happens. And yes. it can be hard to have an accurate rating. Yeah. that's the nice thing about online right we can play as much as we want and get that accurate rating right and the and the fact too that with the pandemic i mean then you had a bunch of people who joined the uscf yeah. you know after after the, like the queen's gambit came out and then they all got to play online for a year yeah and they're in you know as unrated or or you know lower uscf and then just kind of you know slaughter you and you're like wait a minute you're i mean i went to a tournament one time where i'm playing people rated 1200 1300 playing like 1900 yeah and and playing a 600 rated person who actually played like 1200 yeah and i was like whoa this is not this is not making sense anymore and even igor told me he's like years ago when i was still active i could play 
somebody rated even 2000 and I would know that after move 20, they would make a mistake. They mm. would even drop a piece. Oh, wow. And now I can't even imagine, a, you know, somebody rated 1200 in this day and age, you know, some, some kid that you meet at a weekend tournament who's rated 1200, they're going to be accurate positionally and tactically. Yeah. And they might know a whole bunch of opening theory also. Yeah, they just have, we have many more opportunities to learn. We have computers, we have online stuff. So I think the rating system now is just, Mm -hmm. it's, I just don't think you can even trust what, what anybody's rating is. And now when I go to tournaments, I don't even look at my opponent's rating. I don't want, I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want to gain any sort of pre- I don't uh-huh. want to. I don't want to gain any notion of what I think that might mean. I just gotcha. want to play them and <laughs> assume that they're going to make the best possible move. That's kind of fascinating. I played. Um, I was playing this Tuesday night tournament, and uh, my first game there, I played a guy rated like fifteen hundred, and he made no mistakes, and I made no mistakes, and it was like the cleanest game I'd ever played according to the engines, and it was a draw, and it was like really. This is what games between 1500s and 1600s look like. What is happening with this world? Exactly. So I'm, yeah, I, I don't know. It's totally different now. It's just totally different. Yeah. And then you got my daughter wandering around with her 100 rating, looking to just stop some poor person and lose all their rating points. So, yeah, I, I, I can agree with this discussion. Ratings are uh, are all over the place right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how they settle like because I, I would hope as everyone kind of has come back to tournament chess maybe in another year maybe two things will have stabilized but will they have stabilized just at a lower point because everyone's better now I don't I don't quite know how that works as well yeah I'm not sure I do think it will take yeah at least another year of over the board for people for stuff to kind of settle where it where it should be but right now i don't trust anyone's numbers yeah i don't either um okay so i have not heard a lot of specifics from you about like books you recommend or videos or chessable courses and i'm wondering if that's because you work with a coach who's just been amazing and given you resources and guided your journey but are there these tools that you would recommend to people that have been helpful for you in addition to that or is your recommendation just get Igor to be your coach <laughs> <laughs> um I mean if you can find an Igor in your life I think it's a good thing um but I okay so books let's see books okay so the books that Igor did recommend to me which I did get um there was a there is there was a book, but it it's more about you know the psychology of hmm. the, the seven deadly chess sins, and that was you know a big a big thing because we all kind of commit these in terms of psychological problems, time problems, overthinking, underthinking, like moving too fast, moving too slow. There was a lot of and of course he gives a lot of examples of his games, you know, within those different um, areas of, of our usual chess weaknesses. So that's a book that I would recommend. Who's it by? I think Jonathan Rousen. Oh, uh, yes. 
Yes. It is by Jonathan Rose. And were you recommended that early in your journey or was that kind of after you started playing tournament chess and you were having time trouble issues and this was this like one of the steps to try to to address that? No, this yeah, this came a bit later. This was no. not an early book. This was a this was a later a later book that no. happened probably, you know, maybe I don't know. I think I, I think he sent it to me last last year or so. Um, and then another book that I have is uh, the techniques of positional play. Hmm. And that's good. It's a, again, it's the, a little bit older on the theory. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not so it's not going to be up to date. Um, but just again, giving you some good general ideas of what to do in terms of how to place your pieces and, you know, knights on, on strong outposts, when the bishop is better, when the knight is better, long-term strategical ideas, restricting your opponent's rooks, mm -hmm. uh, just a lot of that sort of, those sorts of ideas are in that book. And I think that that's a good, that is a good resource. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of the my great predecessors, uh, Gary Kasparov. Again, I'm a I like the biographical things. So Igor won't let me get a book unless he recommends it. He's very, he's very much into. Please don't spend your money on chess books unless I tell you that they're good. Okay. And so I, you know said that I would listen to him about those things but I said this does not apply to biographical material if I want to read a book on Karpov's life I'm going to do that <laughs> you know yeah that's so fair. yeah so those sorts of things I I like to get on my own and I like to do um I am a recent chessable person hmm. I didn't you know, know too much about chessable, but I kept seeing things for it. So I was like, you know what, we're going to give this a go. We're going to give this a try, especially since I'm learning a new opening. So I thought maybe we'll try the chessable route and see if that's an effective way to learn a new, learn a new opening and see if I can actually, you know, play it at the club level and see if it, if it works out. So I have been learning the Jobava London, hmm, okay. which is totally different. <laughs> Uh, then the Catalan for me, it's mm -hmm. because it's it's a bit more tactical, um, but I think it's pretty balanced. It's not so like it's not super super aggressive, but it's also not super super positional. I think it has ideas for both. Mm -hmm. um, and then I wanted to do some practice games with that against one of my friends, so we set up an unrated daily game just so I can test it out. And we have already gone into a really wacky line. Um, and it's not a position that I'm familiar with, but it because it's D4 and because I'm used to the Catalan, I do understand some of the ideas. And I do like the way that, you know, it, you can take a line, you can watch, well, first of all, you can watch the whole, even watch all the videos and, mm -hmm. you know, they will explain everything, all the lines. And then when you practice them, you can drill them however many times. And I think you just, I have to remind myself, again, not just to look at my side of the board, but to remind myself that, you know, the other side's going to play something too, and to make sure that I know their moves as well, because I think that can be the yeah. danger with that, 
Mm -hmm. You're doing the repeating, the repetition of the move, and that's great. But I think, again, making sure that you understand the idea, you know, the why am I making this move? Why is Black making that move? What happens if Black doesn't do that? You know? I've definitely, in my use of chessable, had a whole bunch of really great Caro Khan moves imprinted in my mind. But then I'm not like when when a position comes and I'm like, I could make this move that Chessable has imprinted in my mind. But was it this line or was it a different line? And that I can't always remember. And so then I'm kind of like, I could do this move and I have to recalculate. But so I don't know. Chessable has been interesting for me in that way. I haven't been able to fully memorize the whole lines because in the Carol Khan, I feel like there's so many um different lines that develop very similarly but can be quite different depending on the move that you play so i'm still working through all that right like i know it took me several games to remember which line in the caro con do you play h5 or h6 Mm. and i know the main line it's h6 (laughs) in the advance it's h5 (laughs) and it took me a few games like live games to remember you know which one was supposed to go where because if you mess that up, I mean, that's one little pawn move, but if you miss it, it ruins yeah. everything. I remember playing H5 once when it should have been H6, and that was it. Couldn't hang on to it. Yeah, and you oh. show that to somebody, and they're like, what? Why would you have just thrown your pawn to H5 and made it a weakness? And you're like, what do you mean? That's the normal move. And they're like, no, that's not the normal move. That doesn't even make sense. And then you're like, oh, oh that's the advanced variation I was thinking of. Oh, I see. Right. And to the to the untrained eye or to the, you know, it doesn't look that different. But in reality, it, there's there's a huge difference between playing H6 and H5. I mean, it's a whole different position. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's one of those interesting things. But I did finally, that finally got drilled into my head, which one is which. So I'm happy okay. to see that I do not make that error. That's good. I'm curious what motivated you uh, to pick up the London. Was it so that you could have everyone um, bag on your opening selection or what, what was the choice? <laughs> so I, I always see these things, especially on Twitter, that D4, Bishop F4, and everybody hates you. And, yeah. Um, okay, but I thought that the, this particular London didn't seem as London-y. You know uh, what I mean? Like, I see, I see. like it's it's the the Jobava London, sometimes called the Rapport Jobava. And because you start off with knight c3, which already was a difficult move for me to make, being a Catalan player. Oh yeah. Not wanting to block the C pawn with the knight. Right. But then realizing that, well, the knight's gonna go to b5, most likely, target the c7 pawn. Mm-hmm. Um but I wanted to. I I wanted to try a slightly different opening that I thought would be a little bit more tactical without changing completely to like one E4 and having mm-hmm. to learn completely unfamiliar positions. So I picked up that one because, well, number one, GM Hans Neiman like made the best sell of it on Twitter and whatever. And so I was like, all right, I will... I will check that out. And he's actually very, very good at explaining everything Mm. very clearly, very concisely. Um, And 
he has a, a good sense of humor too, which is, it's nice when you're watching a chess video, it's not dry and dull and kind of like, okay, you know, so it's, it's got all those types of things. And I've learned a lot about it. And I've even tried it in some blitz games with some success, you know, already, because it does lead your opponent into very unknown territory. And it's hard to play any anti-London stuff against it. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, so I have been practicing it and just that it's, that it's somewhat similar with other D4 openings. I knew I would get some flag for Bishop F4, but you know, it's okay. I can live with it. I can certainly live with it. One of my front of my good friends, who's an excellent, excellent chess player, he's rated 1900 and he's played so much and he only practically only plays the London and he's had great success with it he just destroys everyone with it it's so amazing yeah and he doesn't care he's like whatever if it works it works yeah I'm kind of in the camp also of if my opponents are immediately annoyed by my opening choice I kind of feel like I've done something right right like cool you're unhappy with the opening if I'm happy and you're unhappy, then this is where I want to be with an opening, right? Like it's on my turf then. So you're right. Know. Yeah, it's already a little bit of an advantage. I mean, I when I'm playing black and I get d4, bishop f4, I do kind of roll my eyes a bit, just because it's it's a it's annoying to face. Yeah. It, exactly. It's one of those kind of just really solid openings that you have to learn how to deal with as black. And it's 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 mm -hmm. always a bit it's always a bit tough to break through, you know, that pawn chain and what do I do with my light squared bishop? I just go for an early B6, put that thing mm. on B7 and hope for the best. Very <laughs> All right. Last line of questioning today as we're running out of time here. I just thought we could talk about over the board chess a bit. So it sounds like you jumped into over the board chess pretty darn early in your career um were you nervous at all like going to the club the first time did you feel confident like what, what was that like so my first over the board event was on my birthday um and it was a weekend tournament and Igor told me at one point before he was like you need to go and lose a lot of games and I was <laughs> like I'm pretty sure I can I can do that so I signed up for my first one which was a game 60 tournament, which I now despise. But back then I was like, game 60, that seems long, you know? And so I went to this tournament, lost the first three games. And then it came to the last game. And I told myself, I am not leaving here without a win. Okay. I'm not leaving this building like without a win. And I did win the last game hmm. and I was, I was happy that I won one game, even though I lost the other, the other three. And, um, it was against an unrated opponent and he had lost all his games. So oh. that's how I got my beautiful 378 to start off with. Okay. Yep. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we're starting low, but that's okay. Cause we have nowhere mm -hmm. to go, but up. And, you know, learning like things like how to write down the, how to write down the moves, how to use the clock. Those were things I hadn't had to do before. 
And so that was a whole new experience just thrown at me in one day, four rounds in one day. Um, but it was, it was okay. It was, it was okay in terms of a, you know, chess memory, I guess. I still have all those games nice. back at them and I go, oh my gosh, what was I doing? <laughs> How many hanging pieces are there in each of the games? Is that a exactly. lot? Exactly. <laughs> um, no, uh, not did I hang too many pieces? I actually think I did well with the not hanging pieces. Definitely lost That's some awesome. pawns, though. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely a blunderer of pawns. Okay. Yeah, and then I didn't attend the like an actual chess club until August of that year, and I, I went to the Bill Ricca Chess Club, and my first opponent was rated sixteen hundred, and mm. it went into a Sicilian because I was still playing e four at the time. Mm. and um i lost that game and then igor was like okay we're not going to allow a sicilian so we're going to play d4 <laughs> and <laughs> d4 ever since okay maybe someday i will someday i will deal with a sicilian but okay yeah but no i was i was nervous and i was excited though like I was happy to be there, even though I didn't know anybody, even though I had no idea what I was doing, it was exciting, you know, okay. and I, and I like those things and every new game, I try to be optimistic and go, okay, I can do this one. I got this one. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had many, many ups and downs and many emotions. Definitely. I mean, I've can't even tell you how many times I've left crying, but like mm. both sides, like crying out of happiness oh, okay. and crying because I'm upset with myself. But it's been like, it's just so many feelings. Like chess really brings out all of those feelings that normally yeah. don't really come out in me in my daily life. But oh, I am a very emotional chess player, which I did not anticipate. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean when you put so much of yourself into something for like so much focus and, and energy for multiple hours at a shot, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel the same way at least, but it, for me, it's more draining. Like I come away win or lose. I'm just like completely spent. That's why those weekend tournaments are so hard where they're like, all right, are you completely drained? And you're like, I am like good news in one hour. You have another round. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no time to, those are, those are a lot. They have you playing at 10 a.m. They have you playing a small child at 10 a.m. And it's like, <laughs> no, this kid's full of energy. I'm not even awake yet. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Um, so you said with the pandemic, you weren't able to get over the board uh, very much, which totally makes sense. Have you been able to resume your over the board playing or is that still kind of like spotty or on hiatus? Oh, no, I the second it came back, I was like, let's go. So uh, both the clubs that I'm in are back. I'm I'm playing tonight in Ooh. the chess club. I'm very excited. Um, and then, yeah, so I play Wednesdays and Fridays and then whatever weekend tournaments and I'll have my lessons on Thursday. Okay. Oh, yeah, I have a lot of a lot of chess happening. But yes, the second it was back over the board, I was like, sign me up. I'm going in. Yeah. So it sounds like you're big over the board. Do you consider then over the board to be kind of like real chess? And then the stuff you do on chess.com is that preparation for that? Or 
is it all sort of real chess for you? Um, I guess if I guess if I'm honest, the the over the board chess does seem more like the real chess to mm -hmm. me. You know, having the USCF rating, and which is why I don't I don't agonize over games on chess.com because I'm like, this is not real. This is yeah. just chess.com and it's okay if I lose, whatever. This is, but yeah, it's good to use for preparation. You know, if you can find your opponents that you're going to play, because most of them are online, you can look at the games mm. that they win, the games that they lose, the openings that they play, and you can use that to inform yourself. Okay. So you're prepping for your opponents even. I like it. I, I yeah, I mean, luck favors the prepared, right? So I like to go in with knowledge of, if I can, you know, with who I'm playing, what they like to play, what they don't like to play, mm -hmm. and just try to learn learn as much as I can because my ultimate goal is obviously destruction so yeah yeah awesome yeah well Renee thanks so much for such a wonderful interview uh I, I really especially appreciated all the information about your coach and the bond that you've developed with your coach over time so it's been a, that was really a great part of the story for me um so is there any place people can reach you if they want to hear more about you and your approach or get some tips from you? So I am, uh, I'm on Facebook. It's under my name, Renee Manelgaro. I'm on Twitter, um, Karo Khan Artist. And yeah, that's probably probably the best way I mean that's how that's how we got to that's how we got to meet which was kind of crazy because yeah it was my friend from the chess club who tagged me in that post and I was like what a crazy yeah. what a crazy turn of events so yeah we we met just the other day I was looking to talk to somebody about the Catalan and a very specific question that I was trying to work out and then someone was like, you should talk to the Carol Khan artist. And I was like, but they're a Carol Khan player. I, <laughs> I imagine they must also play the Catalan. So we have the same opening. So we talked for a while. And then I realized, like, what am I doing? Why haven't I invited this person on Chess Journeys yet? So um, thank you so much for coming on today, Renee. Really appreciate the conversation. Um, and if you want to find me online, you can find me at Dr. Skull on uh, Twitter. It's probably the best place. You can check out my stream at Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. And uh, so for everyone out there, I hope you achieve all of your ratings, goals, and games that you want this week. But if it's a regular week and it's a plateau, that's okay. I hope you enjoy the journey. Come back next week and we'll get some more tips and conversations for you. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>